Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hour number two here of Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster here. Max Power in for Jad this week. Happy to have you. Wildcat fans, you can check out GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast, latest bowl and transfer portal news, as well as men's and women's basketball all season long. Follow PowerCat podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk a little bit about K-State's bowl game coming up uh, later in this hour. Uh, we will uh, certainly get into it tomorrow as well. Tim Fitzgerald uh, should be in, and we will get uh, maybe a preview of NC State. I know he's probably looked at them more than we have. Uh, I have not studied them. I'm not going to, Tommy. I'm going to be fully honest about that. Definitely not going to sit out and like go back and comb through the NC State footage. I don't. I don't. I don't do that with bowl games. I don't care. <laughs> but I do care about what KU or K, sorry, what K State does. So we'll talk about that. Um, as we make our way through. It's an interesting NFL week this week, Tommy. As I think there are games that we can get pretty excited about pretty much all week. Starts tomorrow night. Browns-Jets, I think, has certainly some appeal. Uh, then Saturday, you get Lions-Cowboys, which absolutely has appeal. And then as we make our way through it, you know, there are games, I think, that have interest. Falcons-Bears has interest because what do the Bears do at quarterback is still a massive question, I think, looming in the NFL. Um, Dolphins-Ravens will be the headline game of the week. It's a noon game on Sunday, which is interesting. They keep Packers-Vikings as Sunday night football. Um, I, and then, of course, Bengals-Chiefs, which, which we're paying attention to here. It's a good slate. Um, I, I think there's enough here late in the season that is like, okay, there's a lot of implications here still as with two weeks left to go. That's always what you worry about, right, is that things are decided, and they're just absolutely – I don't think anything's decided yet in the NFL. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the Ravens and the Dolphins game. I mean, I think that's going to tell us a whole lot about the way that the playoffs are going to shape out. Uh, and so th- I'm, I'm looking forward to that game because I do think – and I've been higher on the Dolphins all season long than you have – I think that they are for real. I think they are the most likely threat to the Ravens and might prevent the Ravens from getting to a Super Bowl. I really believe that out of all of the other teams in the AFC. And so we're going to find out for sure this weekend exactly where the the Dolphins are, uh, are standing with a couple of weeks left in the season. The big knock on them for a long time had been they hadn't beaten anybody. They beat the Cowboys last week. We've been looking at their final three games the entire season, and that's going to tell us a lot about the Dolphins, so I'm looking forward to this game. A couple of interesting lines out there. The Cowboys are six-point favorites against the Lions. That game you just mentioned, the Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Dolphins. The Chiefs are a touchdown favorite uh, over the Bengals. Um, So, you know, I I don't – I think I would probably – lean Ravens in that the Dolphins are the Dolphins are a really interesting team you know for for so long they have not been a good road team especially when you think about going and you know from the climate of Miami to Baltimore quite frankly so I'm interested in that test as well I think that I think that they're built and designed a way that they can get it done and I, and I am very, very excited to see them play their next two games. 
you know, if it's not one of the teams we follow, I could totally get on, like, as far as a rooting interest I'm just talking about here, a Dolphins train, right? Because that fan base deserves that, right? That fan base deserves a Super Bowl. 1972, I think I think enough time has passed where we can say we're not quite as sick of that anymore. I mean, it, you know, the Dolphins deserve one. That's a team I could get behind. Uh, and, and they're obviously exciting, and Tua's story is cool, and Tyreek's electric, and... We'll see. Jalen Waddle, I think, by the way, is in question for that game, which is not good for them. Uh, but we'll see. I, I look at this Bears game, Tommy. I am so fascinated by Justin Fields. I, I don't know what the Bears should do here. I don't know. They're going to have the top pick by way of the Panthers. So they can essentially have their pick at quarterback, or I would assume take Marvin Harrison Jr. And then they have another early pick. And then they could, in theory, still trade Justin Fields. I don't know what I think they. I I don't have a a strong take on. I don't. I just don't know. Honestly, I think I'm. I think I would move on from Fields. Not as much that it's a knock on Fields as it is, if he is good, he's going to get real expensive very soon. And and are you like? Is there a cost saving? At, but the problem is like you have to believe in one of the young quarterbacks or. Is there a different quarterback we're not thinking about that maybe they could go after in the short term and just load that quarterback up with a young? I've seen rumors out there of like going to try a trade for Justin Herbert. Obviously, you would do that. Well, yeah, the Bears. I mean, if you were the Bears, you'd give up pick one for Justin Herbert. You'd give up one one for Herbert. But I, I just that the Chargers aren't going to do that, by the way. I, it's uh, it's a fat. There's their uh, path here is fascinating to me because it centers around a quarterback who tantalizes us, but still looks a little behind in a lot of ways too. I I don't I don't know what they should do, but I watch these games with them and think of them all as like a, you know, a, a Justin Fields. You know, this is it. He's he's not only playing for his job there, but he's sort of playing for a job across the league. Well, you know, I think that if you take out the scenario that you mentioned where they go and they trade for an established starting quarterback in the NFL, if you take that out, because I kind of think that's unlikely, that might not be the worst decision in the world, but I think it's unlikely that the Bears do that. If the two scenarios are either stay with Justin Fields or trade him away and draft another quarterback with the first overall pick, my opinion is you keep Justin Fields and you continue to build around him. That's my opinion because I'm not super blown away by the options at quarterback coming out of the dra- coming into the draft and coming out of college. I'm really not. If it was a loaded draft class, it might be a little bit different. Caleb Williams, I know there's a ton of hype around him, and there are things that he does that are tantalizing and that get you really excited. But, man, he didn't have a great year at USC. You know, in a year that he was supposed to take college football by storm – he really didn't, right? And I think that a lot of his skills will translate well to the NFL, but I'm not I'm not so blown away that I feel like you ought to trade away Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams after the, the year that Williams had at UFC. Drake May is the other guy at quarterback. I think he's fine. He's a prototypical quarterback, you know, that, that I think will be okay in the NFL, but I'm not blown away by amazing talent at the quarterback position that you can draft with the first overall pick. So if I'm the Bears, 
I'm keeping Justin Fields. I'm drafting, I don't know, maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. or somebody like that to have a, another explosive playmaker alongside DJ Moore in Chicago. And then you have another early pick and you can go elsewhere and continue the reinforcements and building this team up. I, it, I'm just not right now feeling like they need to completely blow it up and trade away Justin Fields. I don't think they need to blow it up anyway. I think the other, I think an experienced quarterback is the interesting piece. I don't know if people have. Noticed I would their do that. Is... I would be okay with that if they if they decided they wanted to go out and get a legitimate established quarterback. Again, I don't think it's going to be Justin Herbert, like you mentioned. That's kind of unlikely. The Chargers aren't going to do that. I think. Uh, but the, I think Bears fans are just dreaming. I think that, that point, there might but... be, and I, I'm I don't know exactly who off the top of my head, but there could be another couple of quarterbacks out there that would be intriguing, in sure. uh, you know. Kirk Cousins, maybe Could, would he go to the Bears from the Vikings coming off of a, an Achilles injury? I mean, he—I don't know if he's going to be back in Minnesota. That could be somebody for a year or two that's a veteran and established and could really use those weapons around him. I, yeah, look, I—I I think that's an option. I, I don't know what the option is. I, I but what I do know is their defense is playing better than people realize. They've given up twenty points only one time in their last like six games. And right at twenty and seven, like they've they've been better, much much better defensively, and so you see these pieces. And yeah, you could see take Marvin Harrison Jr. at one one, and then take an offensive lineman with whatever the other pick they end up with is, and you move forward with Fields. I could see it. Fields needs perfection. I, I as somebody who is like debating whether to play Justin Fields, Nick Mullins, or Jake Browning in fantasy right. championships this week, like. You shouldn't be doing that with Justin Fields. Like, he needs at this point in his career to sort of take this thing over. And it's hard, too, because that game against, you know, Cleveland, he he had what should have been a Hail Mary converted at the end, which would have given him, you know, probably 220 yards and two touchdowns. He shouldn't have had any interceptions. Both came on Hail Mary plays. Uh, and, and so I, I just don't know what the progress is. I do know that he needs to run more. And I do know he's never going to be a pocket passer, and they need to stop trying to do that. Like that's not what he is. That's not what he's going to be. You got to let that guy run. And a lot of that's him. Like he doesn't. I don't think he scrambles enough either. But that's enough about the Bears. Why do we talk that much about the Bears? Let's talk about the Chiefs. So we we've I think cleared now the chaos of Monday enough to start to look at these games a little bit. This will be an interesting test for the defense. I think it'll be a good test for the defense. Seven point favorites. I assume Jamar Chase will be back at this point. The Bengals are not a pushover. Like, we know that. The Bengals are still alive in the playoff hunt. The Bengals are going to bring it. Ahead of, you know, a Jamar Chaseless Bengals team and, and Jake Browning struggling for the first time, they had quality wins over Jacksonville, Indianapolis, and Minnesota. So now Kansas City looks here, and, you know, the game is very different than we thought it would be at this point when we saw the schedule come out. But it's got certainly a similar level importance, I think, here. Cincinnati clinging to life, Kansas City trying to finish off a division and give us some semblance that they can get it done still in the playoffs. I, this does become, in, in what's a very strange way, almost just as interesting as we always thought it would be, uh, just in a very, again, in a very, very different way than we thought it would be. Yeah, I don't exactly know the best way to come at this game on New Year's Eve with the Bengals. Um, and really, I think a lot of it is, of course, what we've talked about with Kansas City ad nauseum over and over and over again. But then you add, add in another wrinkle 
and the fact that the Bengals, who are clinging to life and looked really good for the first couple of weeks when Jake Browning took over, did not look good against the Steelers over the weekend at all. And the Steelers, uh, with Mason Rudolph at quarterback, kind of ran all over the, the Bengals. And so I don't exactly know where this Bengals team stands right now with Jake Browning at quarterback. So there's a lot of unknowns going into this game this weekend. Uh, I know that you mentioned that Kansas City is a touchdown favorite right now. I'm not touching that at all. Uh, when we pick that game on Friday, I'm not looking forward to picking that game because I, I just there's no way to predict it. There really, there really isn't. I just don't know. Um, I, I think that because of where the Bengals are and their desperation, I think that they play better against Kansas City than they did against the Steelers a week ago. They've not played well against the Steelers at all this season. It's a, it was a you know divisional matchup, obviously, both times, and, and those divisional matchups are really difficult for Cincinnati, especially taking on uh, Pittsburgh. They, they're 0-2 against the Steelers. So I think the Bengals will play better against Kansas City on New Year's Eve than they did a week ago. It's really honestly going to come down to can Kansas City finally get at least some of their mistakes figured out and get back on the same page and start to row in the same direction again and stop shooting themselves in the foot. I think that's easier said than done. I'm not holding my breath that it's going to happen, but that's what it's going to have to take for Kansas City this weekend. So the over-under is 44-and-a-half. I'll tell you what I want to see out of Kansas City. Their eyes light up that Jake Browning's thrown five interceptions in his last three games. Um, I, I, I want to see them do what I've said. I, I want to see them redefine the way they go at this game. I want to see them embrace the ugly. You know, embrace the fact that you're not explosive offensively. Embrace the fact that you're going to have to just take things most likely in small chunks. You're going to have to run the ball and see if they can't just go in with that philosophy. And maybe a few plays break and, and who knows. But try to focus on putting Cincinnati in a position to fail. Yeah. Right. Field yeah. position matters. Put Jake Browning deep in his own territory. Make them press. Stop the run. Make him throw. Try to take advantage of that and then capitalize on those things. See if they can become a team that's designed more like the way the Ravens are playing right now. Right. Opportunistically letting things, you know, sort of play themselves out and just waiting for the other team to make a mistake rather than feeling like you've got to force things so much that you're making a mistake. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with penalties. I don't know what to tell you about the penalties. I really don't. Like, they have got to figure out a way to stop the penalties. But they do need to redefine what it is that they're doing, and this is honestly a pretty good opportunity and a pretty good opponent to do that against. Earl is on the line. Earl, welcome in. Uh, we haven't heard from you since Monday, Earl. I was a little worried about you, but I assume things are okay. Uh, Merry belated Christmas. How are you? Well, thank you so much, and Merry belated Christmas to you guys, and Happy New Year forthcoming. Look, th there's been some changes since last year on the Chiefs, and human chemistry is a difficult thing to say, hey, this is going to work, this isn't going to work. But I can say this now. We are now breaking bad. Because Biennemi, he was Walter White. And Nagy is screwing up the cook. Look, a real good offensive coordinator takes into account his players' strengths and weaknesses and devises a plan to put them in the best position to succeed. The tackles have some difficulties in some areas in that. 
it doesn't seem like they're game planning to kind of help that. Moreover, during that game on Christmas, which what a ruining Christmas day game that was, you never run a gimmick play inside your 10 while you're ahead in a football game, man. So when I watch these guys, and it has gotten worse, and it's painful to watch, it seems like they're complacent. It feels like their hunger has been well-fed. And, you know, guys like Travis Kelsey, he doesn't seem to have his legs under him. Could be a Taylor Swift thing, you know, the old boxing saying, you know, before bouts, you want to make sure that you're running clean. With that said, man, there, there's still hope, but my gosh, the only variable, and this is very difficult for a team to look this bad that won a Super Bowl last year, is you got to look for what's the variable. The variable is Nagy. Nagy came after being a complete failure as a head coach in Chicago, so I think there's some bear stink on him. And I, once again, I don't believe he's very detail-oriented. Now, I'll say this, too. It's Andy's job. He's the head coach to keep this thing on track. But how many times have you seen Andy Reid in a State Farm commercial and other commercials? So after winning the Super Bowl, these guys aren't focused. They're not focused. They're not Earl, disciplined. Earl, they're not hungry. I, I, I was good with all of it. But I, I, like, I'm, I'm glad you bring this up. I don't know if we've talked about this here. These guys shoot these commercials in the eye. They haven't thought about a State Farm commercial in 10 months, right? They, those things are done in the summer, and they're, and they're over with. And Travis Kelsey's allowed to have a girlfriend. Like, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, NFL why, stars why? have been in commercials forever. That, has, that doesn't have anything to do. Patrick Mahomes being in State Farm commercials doesn't have anything to do with the struggles they've had this year. They haven't thought about that stuff in forever. That stuff is done and in the past. They're not like, instead of practicing on a Tuesday, going to catch a commercial shoot real quick. Would, would you say we do not exist in a vacuum, right, Jacob? So even though they shot the commercial 10 months ago, do you think people come up there and talk to them about it? And by the way, Andy Reid has put on some LBs from last year. I mean, that Andy, you know, there were times during his Chiefs coaching career that he weighed a lot less. So, you know, you can um, – putting it on the offensive coordinator that changed, but ultimately the huge responsibility is on Andy Reid. And people catch up with what you are scheming. We are not doing any scheming to overcome what they have done to catch up with our scheming. So, Earl, it, I, I will say I think one thing that you are right on uh, and that, that I agree with you on out of everything that you said is that – the, the difference in personality between Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy as offensive coordinator. Eric Bieniemy is fiery. The one thing that we knew about him was that he was willing to even get into it with guys on the sideline. And I know just because of his personality that he probably wasn't always just going along to get along with the things that Andy Reid wanted to do. There was probably some push and pull, maybe some tug of war at times. That's kind of what you need occasionally from a coordinator with your head coach. It looks to me that Matt Nagy is more of a just kind of defer to Andy Reid, not really challenge anything. If this is what you want to do, then I guess we'll do it. And I think you can definitely tell the change in their personalities from the offensive coordinator from last season to this year. Okay, when you say you can, you can agree with one of the things. Okay, let me ask you guys that. In a nutshell, what you saw on Christmas Day, how in the heck do you explain that? How, how do you really explain that offensive football team looking as 
dismal as it did on Christmas Day. If it's not anything that I've thrown out there, what the heck is the reason? No, I think it is. I think think it's a lot of that. I think it is what. Yeah, it's what you've thrown out there. Or the only thing I don't agree with you on is the is the distracted because they're shooting. And I've heard a lot of that. Like they're distracted because they're shooting commercials. Travis Kelsey's distracted because NFL TV crews take shots of the booth where his girlfriend is, even though he has no idea that's happening. He's on the field. Like those are the things. I think Travis Kelsey has had a couple of mistakes that we wouldn't normally see for a couple of reasons. One, he and Mahomes are very clearly pressing to try to make up for everything else. And that has weighed heavy on them. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The two of them together are not what they have been in the past. Now, for Kelsey, he's also, you know, reached an age in his career where guys at that position Had typically do begin to too. lose. Yeah, and he's been playing through injuries and all of those things for sure. But I think it has more to do with them pressing. So those two I can look at. I do think you're right. This team needs Eric Bieniemy in a bad way. They need somebody when you continuously, if a wide receiver lines up offsides or a tackle lines up offsides one more time, how do you think that conversation with Eric Bieniemy on the sideline goes? Oh, he'd have like, their hind end. Inexcusable. Like, you yeah. can make the excuse that they never call that. They're calling it, and they've been calling it all year. So stop eh, doing it. They called that it kind a lot of st- more after that happened. You can at least agree on that. I mean, Jawan Jawan Taylor had been uh, that was the storyline of the first three weeks is that he kept lining up offside, but you're in a bad position. You're watching other tackles do the same darn thing right now without a flag. But you know what? I mean, here's the thing. It doesn't. But Earl, it doesn't matter. It's being called on you. You know they're calling it. So do something about it. Hey, look. You know, despite everything else, I'm going to simplify this really all the way down. And I can't believe that we have to get this simple with this team. But for the game this weekend against the Bengals, Jacob, you mentioned what you want to see from the team. What I need to see from the team is as simple as a clean game from Patrick Mahomes. That's all I need to see. I don't care at this point if the team scores 14 points or they score 17 points or what. They don't need to score a ton. I just need to see a clean game from QB1. I need to see a clean game from number 15 because we haven't seen that lately. And there's a lot of reasons as to why it's not all his fault. There's a lot that's going on. But simply put, at its very basic level, we have to see Patrick Mahomes play a clean game. If he can do that... It's been a while since he's done that with the defense they have. At that point, I start to feel okay about their chances against the Bengals. Here, here's the thing, though. This is where I get back to an offensive coordinator realizes his players' strengths and weaknesses. If those tackles are not holding up under pressure, which against the Raiders, that was the third most pressure he's felt all yeah. year, right? Yeah, it was it's bad. Hard to, it's hard to throw a ball when you're running for your life. Instead of seven-step drops, go to five-step drops. But, Earl, how many, times, how many times around. in the game against the Raiders did we, or did we watch Patrick Mahomes running for his life and then trying to – force a throw where in years past we probably would have seen him throw the ball away he's not doing that like he used to he would he would throw the ball with guys he had chemistry with that would come back to him that uh, he ran around and guys knew where he was going to end up these receivers aren't doing that mvs he played like 80 percent of the snaps and didn't have a single catch mahomes ain't gonna throw him the ball explain that because mahomes doesn't trust him and Mahomes is like that's that that bridge has been burned. Mahomes is not going to throw him the so ball. So why is he he's still not. on the field? 
Great question because they don't have James anybody to replace him. I know it's it is a well, good it they is a good the, question. They have tight ends that can come in there. I mean that's what I'm saying. Cleveland is winning games down to their third a quarterback off the street, third string running back. Their offensive line has been decimated. Their offensive coordinator and head coach comes up with a plan that makes what they have work now. What we're still trying to do, and I saw this against the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, we're still trying to ram that square peg in a round hole. Come up with a different game plan because it's not working, man. That's what you're paid to do. So, uh, okay. Uh, We're saying the same thing. Earl, I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. um, Happy New Year, guys. Yeah. We're all three saying the same thing is what's interesting here. The Chiefs have to change what they do. The Chiefs have to become something they haven't been. The Chiefs have to simplify this thing. The, they, you know, stop trying to make what's not working work and do what is working, which is play great defense, which is trying to run the ball. I agree with the five and seven steps. I, I want Mahomes under center, and I want him to run eye formation and set up play. I said that last week. Set up some play action. Let you know, let whichever receiver, not not MVS, or but let whatever receiver it is run so wide open that it's almost impossible to fail. And I know that's asking <laughs> a lot at times this year. But do those things, even if, and again, Tommy, we're saying the same thing. If you only go out and your goal is to score 14 offensive points, great. Let's see if that works. You have two weeks to try it out. They're not going to miss the playoffs. So you've you've got some time here to try something else. I'm and at the point the where if they is, score 14 points offensively, but they have zero turnovers, okay, I can live with that. That's what I'm absolutely because their defense is good enough, and that's what we're not talking enough about. And this is why I get back into I still think they have a puncher's chance in the playoffs because I do think that this defense, when healthy, can be that kind of defense. Maybe is that kind of defense. So let's see it. Let's see if they can be. Go out and just take the air out of the ball to some degree. Run it. Do whatever you've got to do to play mistake-free and lean into your defense. It's so counterintuitive to what we've seen now for for five years from the Chiefs. So it's not as easy to just do it as it is to say it, but that's on the coaches. And you got to get with Mahomes and say, hey, look, man, like we know that, you know, you're pressing out there like we can see it on film. Like, you, you, you know, Mahomes typically doesn't take the risks and chances that he feels like I think he's got to take now. We don't need to do that. Let's run the ball and let's let our defense win us this game. Let's see how this goes. They showed last year that they can redefine themselves. They did post Tyreek Hill. They redefined themselves a couple of times now. After the Super Bowl loss to Tampa, when teams were playing them, when Tampa sort of, remember, and I know the offensive line was the thing we all remember about that game, but remember that Tampa is the original team that started playing them defensively different than they had been played. And then the next year, everybody started doing that. And it took a while for the Chiefs to say, we're going to take what the defense gives us. They're taking the top off. Okay, and then they did that. And then Tyreek Hill leaves. And then they redefined themselves last year with a better group of pass catchers holistically. You know, it, I, I think it, the the role for McKinnon was bigger. Uh, certainly Juju was more trustworthy. So, you know, it's not totally different, but it was better last year. 
this year, redefine yourself again. They can do it. It's just, will they do it? And they got two weeks to find out. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we're we're past it here. 869-1240 on the IHOP hotline. Appreciate the call, Earl. Let's jump into it. Uh, we'll get into a look ahead a little bit to K-State on Thursday. We'll certainly do more of that tomorrow as well as we make our way through this Wednesday edition of Sports Daily. Your phone call is welcome. 869-1240. Sports Daily on 97.5 and 1240. KFH. Hear this. Go ahead. I think I want to hear this. Sports Daily is on KFH. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, This game tomorrow is an unpredictable one. 33 players, Tommy, have entered the transfer portal combined uh, for these two teams. An All-American linebacker, apparently, is sitting out for NC State. Like I, I, when we talk about unpredictability in a bowl game, like I got nothing here as far as trying to guess at what might happen in this one. You know, for us here, it gets so simple in that we're looking at Avery Johnson, right? And Avery Johnson's ability as a young player and what is he going to do? I, I that that part of it makes it must watch for us, you know. And that's I'm glad we ha- I'm glad we have that because otherwise, I like I don't know. I don't know what we would be doing with this game. Like it's a mess as far as the rosters go. It really is a game to the future, and this is what drives me nuts about bowl season. I, I, I love what bowl season is in theory as long as we just embrace the fact that these are absolutely exhibition games. I do think as the dust settles on college football, portal entry needs to wait until after the first of the year um, or after at least, you know, whatever everything's been played but the but the college football championship that would help i think to some degree the draft decisions you would still obviously have now as guys are you know not wanting to play in these games to risk injury and i know that bothers people but i think the only way to embrace bowl season properly is to embrace it as an exhibition game embrace it as having fun if you're out there and a fan and getting a chance to go to Orlando and hang out for a little bit around the holidays and root on your team. But it's always been hard for me to take these games seriously when there is not an implication on them in the aftermath. And I know these are your teammates and these are your guys and you want to, you know, for a lot of guys, it's playing one more college football game. And that matters a whole lot more to some players than it does to others, and that's okay. I don't think it's giving up on your team. I don't think it's any of those things if it's a situation where you're trying to go be the best that you can be in a sport where you know it can all end at any point on any given Saturday, I guess, or, or Thursday in this case. Like Sometimes I think players take too much criticism. The rules allow transfers— but if you know if a player 
like Will Howard, for instance, is trying to find his spot and find where he's going to have the best chance to be successful. Uh, maybe it's an NIL opportunity or maybe it's to get to the NFL. That's okay. Like, I don't have ill will to that. You get such a small window and small opportunity to play professionally. And for so many of these players, that is their goal in life. And so to to overreact to these games that, again, the Pop-Tarts Bowl in Orlando, I am jacked up for this game because I love that K-State gets to play another football game. But I just it doesn't bother me that much that guys aren't playing in it. I do think, though, on the flip side of that, we do need to get control of the of the timing of the transfer portal. You don't need transfer portal things happening before these games are played. But but I get it. I get why it's happening. Or, or what are so what are guys going to do? Let's say Will Howard doesn't enter the transfer portal and he's still on the roster. He knows he's going to enter the transfer portal, but he doesn't enter the transfer portal. Uh, Okay, so now what do you do in this bowl game? Do you sit Will Howard? Do you not, you know, take a look at Avery Johnson? I, I know I know, fans are frustrated that players are leaving and, and, and they think that guys are giving up, but the reality is this is the best thing that could happen for K-State next year is that all these young players play in this game. And it might mean you lose the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Might. But who cares? Because now what you'll have is a situation where there's a head start. You have something to go back to next year in all offseason with these young players. It's here's what you did well, but here's where you have to get better. There's a taste of it. X player, Y player, you got your butt kicked here. Or you did this really well. Let's focus on that now this offseason. Nothing can replace real game action. And I think what the reality is of these bowl games is, yes, not everybody takes them as seriously, but the players that are out there playing are going to play, right? They're not going to just get out there and, and loaf around. No, they're going to play. And I think what you see, and, and it's not like that's never happened. I think it has, where guys have loafed it a little bit in bowl games and maybe not tried as hard, like a pro bowl situation maybe in the NFL, where you've got players out there, but it's like, ah, I don't really want to get hurt. Now that guys don't have to play it and it's far more accepted and maybe they're transferring out or they're sitting out and they're getting ready for the draft, all that, the guys that are out there are, are far more likely to play hard. So, for K-State, yeah, it's tough to see so many names that you saw all year not there on Thursday but that fact will help them next year the fact that Colin Klein is gone now versus uh two weeks from now stinks in the short term probably hurts them in the short term of trying to win this football game but in reality gives you a chance to look at what life without him might be. I think if we think of tomorrow as an opportunity for K-State with the coaches and players that they'll be missing, it's far more reasonable than getting upset that so many of the guys won't be there and upset and scream at the clouds of, I can't believe, you know, these guys aren't there in this game because this game just isn't very important as far as winning it. They, uh, you always want to win a football game. Don't get me wrong. But if we're looking to the future, 
it's almost better for this program next year that everybody's already gone because the young players will get an opportunity to play. New coaches will get an opportunity to coach them. You cannot replace an actual game and the value that it could bring. So embrace it. You know, it may you may lose it now because you don't have your full cast of characters, but next year's team will be better because these guys all got a game of experience. Don't you think, though, that a victory for Kansas State tomorrow night or even a good showing tomorrow night validates the future direction of this program? I mean, I know that you say that it doesn't really no. matter if you win it or whatever. I think that if, they are, if they're able to put together even just a good showing, it's not even necessarily a victory against NC State, but it's a good showing with Avery Johnson, with some of these pieces that are going to, I think, play pretty solid roles, pretty large roles within this team next season, that it's a validation of the direction they're going. I really do think that that can be the case. I don't think you can look at it from only a final score perspective. I think you have to look at it big picture in the future, but I do think that there's some validation that can be there. Yeah, look, I um, I, I think winning is always important. So don't don't misunderstand like how like winning is always better. Winning is always important. You should try to win every game you play. It's not what I'm saying, but I don't think it's as important to the future as getting these guys the experience. In the sense that if if all the K State players were there and playing in this game, yeah, they'd have a better chance to win the game, which is important. But for the future of this program, is that as important in this moment than all of these young players getting an opportunity now to go and have some real game experience? I think it gives you a glimpse into what this program can be next season. And I think that sure. And and again, it's kind of a little bit of an appetizer, right? A little bit of a teaser into next season. You can kind of watch this. And if there, again, is a good showing, regardless of the final score, if there are some flashes from Avery Johnson, if there are some things that they do that you can get excited about for next year, then that's going to make the next nine months feel a lot better for Kansas State fans and, you know, the entire fan base because they know the, the, the foundation is there for success next season. Yeah, there are a lot of holes to fill. There are a lot of players that, you know, don't have a ton of experience that are going to be playing tomorrow night in Orlando. But I do think that because they're able to get a glimpse of that, then yeah, like it'll get the coaching staff excited. It'll get those players excited and get them ready to build on that foundation this offseason and get ready for next year. Yes, I, I this will be better for the future of this program but it may come at the at the cost of a victory. I mean that's that's it the reality. Yeah, now, it, it may might. it may not. It may not. I mean I don't I don't know. Like, right. Again, like there's 33 players that normally would play in this game that aren't playing in this game. Right. So so I again, I don't I don't know what to I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to root for them to win just like just like with KU last night. But I do think you can embrace and look at the glass half full and no matter what happens tomorrow know that it will benefit them in some way next year if they come in and get their tails kicked it's going to benefit them this offseason because now you've got something as a reference point if you're the coaches I I, I th- you do you I mean remember was it two years ago when Colin Klein made his you know play calling debut in a bowl game Did that make you feel better about the future oh yeah it did for sure it did so 
that opportunity is also there. And yet now you've had almost a month to get ready without Colin Klein for this bowl game. So you can maybe start to see the direction that they might go from an offensive play calling point of view, a scheme point of view, all of that. And now knowing that you're going to have Avery Johnson as your starter, you can kind of combine his talent with the way that they want to, you know, design the plays and the entire offensive scheme. Those are all things that I think that we'll get a little bit of an appetizer on tomorrow night that we'll be able to build for the future. And that's my point. You may have less of a chance to win this game. In fact, you certainly will have less of a chance to win this game. But it may be the better thing for the program that it's happening. And that's a hard thing to get a grasp of. But it's not as hard for me when I remember that these are exhibition games. And are we like we're just not going to remember four or five years from now. It's not going to be top of the mind. Did man, did K-State win that Pop-Tarts Bowl back in 2023? No. Like you'll be yeah. thinking about you know, the development of some of these young players into their senior years and what it's meant. That's far more important. And and that it's a weird thing to say. It's always been my issue with bowl season is these are exhibition games. They're exhibition games, except for two of them that will be played. And that's the CFP. That's all changing for the better. But for everybody else, these are fun. They're fun for the fans. It's fun for the players to go spend a week in sunny Florida. This is an exhibition game. So, I'm glad K-State gets the most benefit they can. I'm glad they know who's out now and who's coming back and that guys have entered the portal early and all of those things because it will help determine what they do this offseason to be the best version of themselves in the games that do matter again next year. Bombshell here in the NFL world as Ian Rappaport is reporting that the Broncos are strongly considering having Russell Wilson sit out the final two games, preserving financial flexibility. Uh, He's got a salary that vests in March of 24. I I think the point of this is if he suffered a serious injury late this season, it would sort of guarantee his contract for next season is what I gather. And they're leaving their options open maybe to move on from Russell Wilson in this offseason, if that's the way they choose to go. That's an interesting concept. Russell Wilson has not been uh he has not been the the worst quarterback in football by any means this year. He has he's got, I think, like the seventh highest quarterback rating in football. Uh three thousand yards, twenty-six touchdowns to just eight interceptions. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, as an example, has 26 touchdowns to 14 interceptions, and they have nearly identical completion percentages. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson has a higher passer rating this year than Justin Herbert, than Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, than he, he's right there with Brock Purdy. He's higher than Trevor Lawrence. He's right there with Jalen Hurts. So, as we look at this, it's really interesting because Russell will he's got a higher passer rating than Lamar Jackson. He has not been bad this year. He's been fine, decent, maybe even above average, pretty good, however you want to define it. Yet the Broncos, because of this contract situation, have this decision to make on what to do with him. And now they're, according to Ian Rappaport, thinking about sitting him down to finish the year 
to make sure that he doesn't get hurt and keep their options of flexibility. This is fascinating. We're going to get into this tomorrow, certainly, uh, because I, I haven't looked at the Broncos and thought, man, Russell Wilson, like the, the it's almost like a redemption story for him this year and how much better he's been and they've been than they were a year ago. Um, and if the Broncos move on from him, I, I got to think after what we're seeing this year, he's still an option for somebody out there. He could make somebody better. Again, the numbers don't lie for him this year. He's He's been objectively better than a lot of the, you know, the best. Now he's under different circumstances, of course, and they're not, the expectations aren't quite as high and all those things. But wow, what a fascinating story. All right, we'll take our final break. We'll come back. Uh, we'll tell you what's on the network today and get things tidied up here on a Wednesday on Sports Daily. This holiday season. 